How many of you have not been here until now for the series on Babylon? Huh? How many? Boy, you need to repent and get right with the Lord. Where in the world were you? But anyway, uh, it's a little unusual, Babylon. We're in Revelation 18, the fourth message. We started with the history, Genesis 8 and 10, or 10 and 8, and chapter 11. Who was the first ruler of the first empire of the world? Anyone? Nimrod. Nimrod's name means rebellion. He had a wife named Semiramis, who is not mentioned in the Bible, but the phrase they used of her is Queen of Heaven. She apparently lived 102 years. Mythological literature all talks about her. The very empire called Sumeria, the first one. When I went to school, it was Egypt. Now it's Sumeria. That name comes from Semiramis the wife of Nimrod. She was a wicked woman known for immorality and idolatry. She introduced a new kind of thinking into the religious systems of the day. And Babylonianism has been with us ever since. Now that's not my opinion. Somebody asked me that uh, yesterday. No, that, this is not my opinion. Everything I have told you so far is in the Bible. Uh, We don't study Babylon separately usually, but it's mentioned 286 times. And the fact of the matter is, it has seduced and influenced every nation on earth. That's not my opinion. That's in the Bible. All nations of the earth. The woman is religious. And we're going to just talk right off the bat about whether or not Babylon is the harlot woman in both chapters. Uh, Is it up there on the screen? Next. No, it is not. So, I'm going to answer the question. I've already been asked by several of you. If you know anything about Revelation, and by the way, our new book is already sold out, has 574 pages, where the last one had 230. We got a lot more to say about Revelation. But you can get it from our website, davidhocking.org. Oh, by the way, if you don't get our newsletter, it's a monthly, and you can use the articles however you want. Uh, Get one on the back table. In fact, the December issue, I've just finished before I came here. Uh, We have to be about a month ahead getting the mail out. But the December issue uh, is the most requested article we have ever written. And that is, when was Jesus born? Babylonianism taught us December 25th. That is not true. It's not even close to being true. All the documentation of the first couple of centuries say exactly uh, what we have concluded many times before. The article will be on the uh, the, uh, newsletter, and you can use it however you want. Jesus was born on Rosh Hashanah, 
the beginning of the religious year. He was born that day in 2 B.C., not 4 B.C. or 5 or 6. Those arguments are all based on a wrong information given to us by Flavius Josephus. He said a, 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 a eclipse of the sun happened in a certain date, and we now know he was wrong by several years. No, all the information from all the church leaders, from all of history, is all united in terms of when Jesus was born. That means that John the Baptist was born six months before him. Well, on a lunar calendar, a Jewish calendar, by the way, we're all sold out of those. Uh, several of you asked me to check, and I will when I get back to see if we have any left. Uh, but that is an excellent study guide, too. But in that Jewish calendar, if you back it up six months on a lunar calendar, guess what? John the Baptist was born on Passover. Not bad, huh? But um, it's important to me to know the facts. I believe in documentation. Uh, you will see, um, what did I do with your book? It was right there. No, it was right there in the front. My goodness, what happened? That book went home to be with the Lord? I had to get him to give me a book. Ah, somebody picked it up. Or it's another one. Uh, this, we brought so many copies, I thought, oh, we'll never sell them. We sold them all the first night. Um, one of you, who I respect greatly, um, your knowledge of the Word of God, you read it already, and you told me that this may be the most important book I've ever written. That surprised me. And I think up until now, uh, this weekend, a lot of you are trying to guess where I'm going with Babylon the Great. It's history and the prophecies of the Bible about it. Well, as you probably know, if you've been around the church long, there are two chapters in Revelation all about Babylon, chapter 17 and 18. We dealt with 17 yesterday. Go to chapter 18, please. And I am going to answer this morning, what is Babylonianism? Why does the Bible connect it throughout all of history? Why are we so quiet about it? Why aren't we telling people about it? Maybe because we're already trapped by it and we don't even know. Well, we'll see. Chapter 18, please, Revelation. And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. He cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils or demons, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. I'm reading out of the old King James. Should be obvious I'm an old person. Verse 3, for all nations, I didn't make it up, there it is, all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her, 
fornication. I mentioned yesterday, it may have gone over your head, but several of you got it because you talked to me about it. I mentioned that in trying to answer the question, is Babylon the Great in chapter 17 the same as chapter 18? And I told you yesterday, and I'll repeat it again, there are only feminine pronouns used of Babylon the Great. So the answer is that the word Babylon is a woman. The word Babylon is a religious system that has dominated the nations of the world until the present time and until God comes with his revenge against planet Earth called the Day of the Lord or the Great Tribulation. And until that day comes, we are all being deceived and seduced by Babylonianism. Now, does everybody know where we are? We're trying to catch up here for a lot of you who haven't been here. All nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. The merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. That's a direct quote out of Jeremiah. That you may be, be not partaker of her sins, that you receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. Reward her even as she rewarded you, and double unto her, double according to her works. In the cup which she hath filled full, fill to her double. How much she hath glorified herself and lived deliciously. So much torment and sorrow give her. For she saith in her heart, I sit as a queen and am no widow and shall see no sorrow. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death, mourning, famine. She shall be utterly burned with fire for strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. That was one amen. God does not like silence. I told you that yesterday. I'm telling you all that today. That's a false doctrine taught by preachers in pulpits. Wrong! God's ready to judge us for our silence, especially when the Bible speaks of Him, His power, His greatness. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Be not silent, O my friend, says the Bible. For God himself is upset with our silence, our indifference, our complacency, which, by the way, is a part of Babylonianism. I want you to think seriously about it because we are living in the midst of it. And before we're done today, maybe about 4 o'clock, I'll have the answer for you. <laughs> We'll see. Well, the kings of the earth are bewailing her, verse 9, when they see the smoke of her burning. It's all going to happen in one hour. There's going to be a great earthquake. There'll be giant hailstones falling from heaven, each weighing over 100 pounds. Imagine it. Every island will be moved out of its place. So will the mountains. They will not exist anymore. God is going to put the globe in his hands, Isaiah 13 says, 
and he's going to shake it and scare the living daylights out of all residents. Amen? You say, well, should I move? I don't know. Well, if you're a believer, you're going to be out of here. You are moving. You'll be moving to heaven. Amen. Let's keep reading. They were standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. Merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth her merchandise anymore. The merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and all uh, theon wood and all manner vessels of ivory, manner vessels of most precious wood and of brass and iron and marble and cinnamon and odors and ointments and frankincense and wine and oil and fine flour and wheat and beasts, presumably cattle, and sheep, horses, chariots, slaves, and look at this, and the souls of men. And the fruits that thy soul lusted after are departed from thee, and all things which were dainty and goodly are departed from thee, and thou shalt find them no more at all. The merchants of these things which were made rich by her shall stand afar off uh, the fear of her torment, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city. Now yesterday we pointed out all the usages of the great city. One, it is used of Jerusalem in Revelation 11, verse 8. Two, it is used of the holy city that comes down from God in Revelation 21. All the rest of the usages are all about Babylon. Is Babylon called the great city? Yes, it is, several times. Wow. Verse 17, For in one hour so great riches has come to naught, every shipmaster, all the company and ships and sailors, as many as trade by sea, stood afar off and cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like unto this great city? They cast dust on their heads and cried, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness, for in one hour is she made desolate. Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone, cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. And the voice of harpers and musicians and pipers and trumpeters shall be heard no more at all in thee. No craftsman or whatsoever crafty beast shall be found any more in thee. And the sound of a millstone shall be heard no more at all in thee. And the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in thee. And the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth, for by thy sorceries, the word is pharmaceutical, non-medicine drugs, by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. And in her, this is an amazing statement, was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. 
and also the first six verses of chapter 19, which we read yesterday. Let's pray. Father, you know our weakness. You know how easy it is for us to think that we're right and everybody else is wrong. And I pray, Lord, you will penetrate us by your powerful Holy Spirit using your word to help us to see what's going on and why it's so bad. Lord, we don't know where we're going, but we have watched our country even crumble by turning away from the Bible. And Lord, we're, we're saddened by it. We hope that the midterm elections that happened this week will bring back men and women on both sides who will believe the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. We need a revival, Lord, and only you know the depths of it. And I pray, Lord, that it might even begin right here. For you saved by few, not by many. So, Lord, we come to you asking for your help. In the blessed name of the Messiah of Israel, our Lord and Savior, our Lord Yeshua, we pray. Amen. Okay, we're going to go a little rapidly because we have a lot to deal with. First, the prediction of its fall is in verses 1 to 3. All of those are prophecies, every last word. You see, the Bible is an integrated software system controlled by the Holy Spirit. We now know that today like we've never known it before due to computer studies. For instance, at the university, uh, Hebrew University in Jerusalem, uh, they have a postgraduate uh, department uh, that I've been in touch with for some time. It was started by the late Rabbi Flusser, Herman David Flusser. I know the man well. I debated him in 1970. We became good friends. He and the pastor of the Baptist Church in Jerusalem, Robert Lindsay, what a man of God he was. And is, of course, still in heaven. But he and Rabbi Flusser started in Hebrew University a postgraduate department. That is, you have to have certain uh, requirements before you enter it. One of which is to know the languages of the Bible, both Greek and Hebrew, a little Aramaic, and Ezra and Daniel. So what was their purpose? Well, Rabbi Flusser uh, wrote an amazing book called The Man Jesus. It was in German at first. It is now available in English. And uh, his target, that is what he was after, is to show the Christian world, especially of North America, that Jesus is not a Gentile. He's not a Palestinian Arab. He is an Orthodox Jew. And it was powerful. So powerful that it shook up the academic world and they haven't recovered since. In fact, a lot of them have become more uh, hostile towards those who believe in the Jewish roots of the faith. By the way, I have a book back there. It's green cover, and it's called uh, The Church of Jesus Christ. And I always get amused sitting back there watching people. They look at it, they put it out, and they put it back down. So I finally asked the guy. I said, you don't even want to look inside? He said, well, I don't want to know about Mormonism. <laughs> that book is not about Mormonism. 
It's about the church that's in the Bible and the Jewish roots of it. You'll, your mind will really be open. I've had a lot of pastors who have gotten it and have said, David, I wish I'd have had this book when I started. Well, getting back to the subject at hand. It's another angel that appears. The word is another of the same kind. No, it is not Jesus. There are seven angels who have a prominence in the book of Revelation. They are also called the seven spirits who stand in front of the throne of God waiting for orders. The results of the fall of Babylon that you read in these opening three verses... They come out of the following passages if you want to write them down. I don't think they're on there. No, they're not. Uh, Go back to the predictions of the fall of Babylon. Yeah, thank you. We're still there. The results of this fall are quoted in the Bible. And it is quite interesting to go back and study what Isaiah 13 says, what Jeremiah 51 uh, says, almost the entire chapter, it's rather lengthy, they're all talking about the collapse of Babylon the Great. Now, those authors writing over 2,000 years ago, by divine inspiration, knew what Babylon was doing to the cultures of the world. And they were so happy to be the prophetic instruments to tell people what God says Babylonianism is coming down. It's going to be destroyed. What's the reason for that? In verse 3, we learn the extent of her influence. All nations, the kings of the earth, and the explanation of her seductive ways, they have drunk the wine of the wrath of her fornication. That golden cup spoken of in many of the prophets of the Old Testament is referring to, by an allegorical or symbolical point, is referring to wine of sexual sin. This woman has influenced cultures of the world with sex and immorality. If you ask me, you know the Bible speaks a lot about abominations. What is an abomination? It's two things, always two, idolatry and sexual immorality. Do you think our nation might be guilty? I'm afraid so. And the effect of it all, we're told that the merchants were waxed rich through this But they're going to come down and they're going to weep and wail when they see that God will destroy Babylon, the great city. So then we come, number two, to the plea to God's people in verse 4 and 5. Interesting, there's a statement over in Revelation chapter 16, verse 19. It says the angel thrusts, whoops, 16, 19. The great city was divided into three parts. The cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon, who influenced them all, came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Wow. Well, my friends, God says to all of his people, get out of her. 
Get out of this system as fast as you can because it's blinding our minds to the truth of God's Word. I have never seen, you excuse me, I am old, I understand that. And sometimes people uh, refer to that. It's okay. It's okay. When I was younger, I thought the same thing. But there's advantage being old. You've been there, you've seen this, and you know what you're talking about. But a lot of people think because you're old, you lost your mind. (laughs) Amen? Amen. It's true. All old people who know that's true, raise your hand. Yeah, some of you could barely get it up. (laughs) Now, uh, the urgency of that I think needs to happen, but I don't think it's going to happen until people understand Babylon. How did Babylon control all these nations of the world? And the answer, by religion. Wow. Revelation 16, 19 says it reached to God I was interested in that because the Greek word kalao, it, it, it was used of putting bricks together with mortar. And I just wondered when I read it if God wasn't having us remember the Tower of Babel. It's possible. The third thing in verse 6 and 8 is the payment which Babylon will receive. Uh, reward her as she rewarded you. Double under her, double. Wow. Uh, the explanation of her sins and iniquities. It's unbelievable. And she is saying the same thing that Nimrod's wife said. I sit as a queen and am no widow and shall never see sorrow. Well, yes, you will. God Almighty is going to judge you. Her plagues will come in one day, death, mourning, famine, and she'll be utterly burned with fire. And that's what chapter 17 said, which we dealt with yesterday. Now, let's go to number four, the people who are affected by the fall. Uh, Let's put them up there one by one. Number one, the sovereigns of the earth, all these kings, they're all affected by the seduction and influence of this woman who is Definitely the religious system that's taking people away from the true God. Wow. It wasn't just the sovereigns of the earth in verse 9 and 10, but it's the sellers of the earth, the merchants, and there are three reasons why they weep. No one buys their merchandise anymore, and all the things that are dainty and goodly, the good stuff that people like, are extravagant luxuries, They're gone and they are found no more. And in one hour, all these great riches are come to nothing because God will destroy the city. Wow. Also, the sailors. How about the sailors? Look at that. Keep it moving. Keep it moving. The sailors of the earth who trade by sea. Now this, folks, is a reason why we have to find the great city with capacity to have a huge port where many ships can come. Now, because of this one detail in Revelation 18, 
people have come up with a literal Babylon. Do you remember when Saddam Hussein at Desert Storm, when we were going after him, um, just before that, about two years before that, uh, he was going to rebuild Babylon and bring it back to all of its glory. You remember that? Well, it never happened. He got started, but it never happened. Then, in the course of time, the United States, where we live, has built the largest embassy in the history of the world. The Euphrates River, whether you know it or not, is called the Great River, and it is big. I've been there. The fact of the matter is, the Euphrates has probably more shipping interests going through it uh, as it comes in from the Indian Ocean and Persian Gulf and all of that than anywhere in the world. So a lot of guys said, Babylon is literal Babylon. And they talked about it being political and all of that. But you see, you can't do that when Revelation 17 and 18 use feminine pronouns for Babylon the Great and that religious system that's riding the beast with seven heads, one of which gets wounded, seventh head comes back into existence with how many divisions? Ten, exactly right, they were here yesterday. And out of the ten comes a little horn, apparently from somewhere else, takes three quickly under his power. He eventually becomes the Antichrist. But there's a ten-division uh, caliphate, empire, call it what you want. It's coming. And the Bible predicts it. So now what do we do? Well, we go back to bed and get our head under the covers and don't ever come out again. No, we're in this world. We're not of this world. But we're going to have to learn how to deal with Babylonianism because it is now infected very seriously the churches of North America. And I use North America out of wisdom because I have a ministry in Canada as, as well. I've been up there five times this year alone, and I'm telling you what I saw is not good. And it's not good in the U.S. either. There has been, an, in the last 10 years, an undermining of the authority, inerrancy, and inspiration of the Word of God in our churches. If you go to a church where they actually open the Bible and teach through the books of the Bible... Hang on for dear life, because there aren't many left. Some of my guys have done a survey recently. You know, the bigger they are, the more likely it is that they're not following the books of the Bible as they were taught. A lot of good topical messages coming out. How to get your act together. I never liked that message, because I never have gotten my act together. But there's a lot of things going on. And it may be a great topical message you're listening to. A pastor may really, because of his passion and his movements, you probably think, this must be the Holy Spirit. Listen, friends, if you undermine the systematic teaching of the Bible, its authority, its inerrancy, without Aaron original autographs, and it's inspired of God. All Scripture is inspired, not the writers. The writing is inspired. 
Why in the world would you teach anything else? Wow. We got ourselves a problem. Uh, here's a fifth matter, is the praise of believers. And I don't know about you, but I read that and know that Babylon's going down. I say, hallelujah. God bless it. May it be buried forever. Well, the pronouncement of Babylon's fall is in the last four verses. Would you look at that just a moment? First, a violent catastrophe is announced in verse 21. That's a direct quote out of Jeremiah 51. Several consequences are described that should affect us all. What are they? No more music. I love music, don't you? I love the singing and praise of our service today. Well, there's not going to be any more. Secondly, there's going to be no more manufacturing. Because all the cities of the nations are going to fall by the disaster that God is bringing. If it is at the end of the tribulation, then it is 2 Peter 3. And according to the Bible, even the molecular elements that make something like this death solid are going to all disintegrate. In other words, God's going to blow the planet up. You say, well, what about us if we're not in heaven yet? Don't worry about it. Listen, if he made the world in six 24-hour days, he ain't no problem. He just puts you over to another galaxy for a couple of minutes while he destroys the planet. Amen? Hey, women, most of you look scared. And there'll be no more marriage. A total disintegration of that which makes is a blessing. All activity being removed. The light of a candle shall shine no more at all in thee. And there's two basic causes. Did you look at that carefully? Chapter 18. What are they? Sorceries which is pharmaceutical, the word for drugs, non-medicinal, and slayings. Believe it or not, there are some Bible teachers right now teaching that because of the word slayings, and because in chapter 20 it indicates the beheading of believers, they're talking about an Islamic caliphate as being... Babylon. Now, I appreciate it. Uh, some of those guys are really popular on radio and television right now, and their books are selling like hotcakes. Why? Because everybody's concerned about Islam, radical Islam, and ISIS, which is now is. And if you don't know what that means, then call Bill Clinton. He, he had something to do with his. But anyway, it just means this Islamic state. See, the last one we had was uh, the Ottoman Turks. And believe it or not, they controlled what they had for 400 years until World War I changed everything. And then there was a realignment of the nations in the Middle East. Iran was originally Elam, a relative of Abraham, interestingly. Well, they became Iran but in 1979, much to the surprise of the whole world, including the U.S., 
They had an Islamic revolution. They're now called the Islamic Republic of Iran. You have also Iraq called Asher in Bible prophecy. And that is also an interesting. So you can understand why people are making an issue of this and saying, well, that must be Mystery Babylon the Great because of the slayings. No. No, the truth is that Islam didn't start till the 7th century A.D., so it can't possibly be referring to all the nations of the world since Babylon existed. It's got to be something else. Now, we've gone through a number of things. And before we go anymore, just leave that on there. Um, I want to talk to you out of my heart just a little bit. I intimated yesterday that the five kings or kingdoms that had fallen in John's day, can you name them? Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece. Those five were already dead and gone in John's day. He wrote 95 A.D. By the way, that's confirmed by history overwhelmingly. So now we got John saying that there's one in existence now. Well, which one was it? It was Rome. There's no doubt about that. And trying to figure this out in any other manner doesn't work. That's the only interpretation that we have that we can say in John's day it was Rome. Now, listen to me carefully. I've been around a long time. I've taught Bible prophecy in schools and colleges and universities and seminaries. I'm not a novice. But I'm going to tell you that the problem we're having is that we're all trying to figure out something other than Rome. Why? Well, it can't be Islam. It didn't come to the 7th century. And Rome wasn't existent in John's day. So the woman that is riding the seven heads of beef with the ten horns on the seventh head, with the golden cup in her hand, as it were, mocking God's people, she is a woman, always a she, and she sits on top of the beast that represents the empires of the world. Right? So what woman possibly could have had such influence in the empire we know as Rome? What woman would possibly in typology or symbolical or allegorical, what woman could possibly be the answer that we're all looking for? That great city. In John's day, there's no question about it. Why? Because Rome was that city, as well as that empire. So now we have a problem. I remember many years ago, I was just getting out of graduate school, and I took a tour to um, Israel, but also tagged on Italy, because I wanted to go to the Vatican. I wanted to see the Vatican. So I remember going down the hallway, down towards the treasury. I wanted to see it. I wanted to see that Jewish menorah, too. 
because they got it. They stole it. They never gave it back to Israel. So what happened was some Jewish people in the Ukraine, out of solid gold, made a brand new menorah, which Israel has now, made out of solid gold, worth millions of dollars. Anyway, I wanted to see all this. So I'm walking down the hallway. They have these beautiful, you've been there, beautiful tapestries hanging from the walls all the way down. And we had a Roman Catholic guide, of course, and he's taking us down. About halfway down, I see on the right this gigantic tapestry of the woman with the cup in her hand riding the seven-headed beast, and the bottom says, the Mother Church. I looked at the guide and pointed to the tapestry. Before I could even ask him, he knew what I wanted. He said, well, I know one thing about your group. So what's that? You're an evangelical. I said, how do you know that? They're the only ones that stop here at this tapestry. (laughs) Somebody taught you on Revelation. I said, well, I learned that myself. But anyway... I said, well, what do you think about that? And calling it the Mother Church. He said, we believe it's a Mother Church. He gave me some books, Catholic dictionaries, theology, encyclopedia. And I, with great interest, took them home and studied them. I still have them. Lo and behold, the Catholic Church says they are the woman on the beast. But they don't see it in a negative way. They see it in a positive way, the influence of the Catholic Church upon all the empires of the world. Wow. But before Rome, it would have to be Babylon, Babylonianism. Are you following this? Don't say yes unless you are. Are you following this? How many think maybe? Yeah, a lot of you. How many of you already know where I'm going? Pastor, you don't count. All right? A little more help. Put up on the screen the next thing. Amen? Amen. So really, that's the solution. But put the next slide up. Uh-oh. What is Babylonianism? Babylonianism, very simply, is the mixture of paganism with Christianity. It has existed in every empire of the world and is all over the world today. All of Europe is beset by it and has been for a long time. That's why they fell so easily into the hands of radical Muslims. It's very, very interesting. Babylonian, the infiltration of paganism with Christianity. You know, when Philip Schaff, the great uh, Lutheran historian, wrote his eight-volume set on the history of the Christian church, one of the greatest sets you could ever buy, in there he says, the Roman Catholic Church is pagan Rome baptized. I never forgot it. I have a lot of friends who are Roman Catholics, some who are priests, and I've enjoyed talking with them. They're very uncomfortable. First of all, most of the priests who are educated in Roman Catholicism know this history. 
that I'm talking about right now. They're not ignorant. Maybe you thought you were protecting your Catholic friends. Well, don't worry about it. They may be upset, and they may not even know what their church really believes or teaches. But the fact is, they know that paganism infiltrated itself with Christianity and vice versa. Now, why? Because the pagans were so strong in the first couple of centuries after our Lord, here's what they decided. They decided that rather than confront paganism in all of these pagan tribes, which they weren't making very much progress, that instead they would find out what the pagans believed and incorporated it into their own church. Why, they even discussed those things at church councils. And you know what Protestants usually do in graduate school? They only hit the highlights. Uh, well, in this church council, they discuss the deity of Jesus Christ. Listen, if you want to know what they really taught, then go back and read it. It's available to all of us if we want to. And the fact is, even before Constantine, who did this in an official way, they were using pagan practices so that the pagans would be comfortable with their Christian brothers and sisters. And so there was amalgamation. So it was easy for Constantine, whose mother was Helena, and rebuilt most of the sites, Catholic sites in Israel. It was easy for Constantine to make Christianity the state religion, but get this, as long as it did not attack and resist the pagan cultures of his day. Oh, was Constantine a true believer? All my study tells me no. He was just dealing with an empire-wide problem. And so the Roman Catholic Church was plunged into some serious problems. Next slide. The problem with Christian celebrations that are rooted in paganism. I am not trying to offend you or ruin your Christmas holidays. But it's time we know the truth. The truth will set us free. First of all, your kids will like a Jewish festival more than Christmas. How do I know? Because in our home, we are Jewish. What's the difference? Well, Christmas in most Gentile homes is you open all the presents, either Christmas Eve or the next morning, and and then it's all over and you have all the trash to take care of. Well, in Judaism, it's a little different. Hanukkah is an eight-day feast called the Festival of Lights. Where did you think we got lights at Christmas time? And that Festival of Lights is in honor of the Maccabees, who under the leadership of Judas Maccabee uh, took care of the Syrians and Antiochus Epiphanes, who thought he was the glory. And uh, they restored the temple. And the oil in the menorah actually lasted for eight days when it only lasts for 24 hours. They call it the miracle of Hanukkah. Now, what do you do at Hanukkah? The first day, a Hanukkah has nine branches. The center one is always lit first. And guess what? It pictures the Messiah. 
So then you, you light the Messiah candle, and then you light the first candle on the menorah. And what they do is exchange pretty well a worthless gift among themselves. A box of rubber bands or crayons. And the kids, thank you very much, you know, but they're waiting for more days to come by. So each day, they open a gift. And they get more valuable as you go through the eight days of that festival. You know, a lot of Jewish homes, by the eighth day, they're giving their kids cars. Don't tell me your kids wouldn't like that. Anyway, that's Hanukkah. Why did I put Christmas up there? There isn't a single celebration that we Christians get involved with that is more pagan than Christmas, including the day. The 25th is coming out of a pagan festival. It has nothing to do with the birth of our Lord Jesus. And the Catholic Church even confirms that because they didn't want to fight the pagans anymore. So let's agree with them about the date. After all, it doesn't make that much difference, does it? One thing after another. Why, the very word, Yuletide. That's a Chaldean word. That was in existence long before Jesus was ever here on the planet. What is the matter with us? Why, trees and ornaments and de- I just love Christmas. We decorate the whole house. And... Do you understand what we're up against here? I think right now, I can tell by the looks on some of you, you don't know what to think. You know what I believe? I believe we should have a Christmas occasion to speak to our non-believing friends about the birth of our Lord, which wasn't even here. I have done this many times. And to watch the neighbors is so funny. And we put a big sign in our window that says, Happy Birthday, Jesus. And the condo where we live actually had to have a major meeting to discuss what we were doing at our house. I found at, down at South Coast Plaza, Nordstrom was changing their decorations for Christmas. And they got rid of that one that's almost life-size nativity scene. And I asked them what they're going to do. I think you're just going to throw it out. I said, well, I'll be happy to buy it. They said, you can have it if you want it. So... In our neighborhood, we have a giant sign also handy, uh, coming down from the trees. Happy birthday, Jesus. And we have those giant characters of Joseph, Mary, and the baby in the front of our house. Well, right away, somebody stole a baby. <laughs> so we put out a flyer. I said, we know somebody here stole the baby. I'll tell you what. You put that baby back, and I will not sue you. Well, a lot of them know my background. I do have a law degree. So the fact of the matter is, <laughs> before the 24 hours were up, the baby was back in. Okay. We have a lot of fun. My wife has a wonderful Bible study with uh, the ladies in the condo. Not right now because of her illness, but... <laughs> The lady who came that has never been to a Bible study, never been to a church, nothing. 
and she shows up at the Bible study with nine different translations of the Bible. She went to the Christian bookstore and said, which one's right? They said, oh, we don't know. They're all good. So she bought them all and brought them. Oh, boy. I said, you know, it would be good that you at least read one of them. Oh, she said, that's a great idea. Okay. Now, Christmas. I've ruined that pretty well. Oh, I got a lot more on that one. You'll have to get that book right here. It's got a whole bunch of stuff in it. And how about Lent? Oh, talk about a sacred football. Uh-uh. Lent is pagan through and through. Everything that is done at Lent, including fasting. My Roman Catholic neighbor said, what do you got against fasting? I said, I don't have anything against fasting if you want to do that. Uh, I even saw a book in a Christian bookstore. It said, fasting can save your life. And I started laughing. And the, state, the uh, bookstore owner said, David, what are you laughing about? I said, this book, fasting will save your life. No, it won't. If you keep it up, you're going to die. Did you know there's only one fast commanded in the Bible? And it's Jewish. It's on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. That is the only fast commanded by God. Well, I just ruined Lent. Now, how about Easter? Oh, you talk about a pagan. Hey, let me put it this way. Time's running out. Uh, How long do I get? Whatever I want. Yeah, you're not the pastor. (laughs) Quarter till, that's only 15 more minutes. Okay. All right, we'll hurry. Easter. You can't get more pagan than that. Church bulletins. Easter Sunday, be there. Listen, we are not into bunnies and eggs. We are into the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So why do you call it Easter, which is the Babylonian Ishtar, the goddess of sex and fertility? Then why in the world are you calling it Easter? Why don't you call it Resurrection Day? I got a lot more on Easter. Get the book. Very interesting on Easter. Wow. Wow. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Oh, my goodness. No kidding. Oh, you better get the book. Next, put up there. Here are the practices that are not based on biblical teaching. And by the way, in the book, uh, let's see, let's get an independent voice. How about you, sir? Right there. Yeah, come on up here. And I just want to prove to people that there's more that they should look at than just what's up there. Look, at it starts there. These are things that are not taught in the Bible. Oh, whoo! Look at all that. Amen? Amen. Okay, yeah. I don't know what you believe. You're probably Roman Catholic, but sit down. (laughs) Okay. Now, how does Babylonianism infest people in the churches? Well, here's number one, by confession to priests. What are you doing that for? The Bible never told you to do that. 
we confess to the Lord our sins, and he will forgive us. And yet all over the world, we got Muslims that do this. Some use the beads. It's Babylonianism. That's what they've been doing since ancient Babylon. And it's a way they controlled the people that was done by the Chaldeans. Next time you're in your Bible, maybe you ought to make a note of all the times it says Chaldean. That was the heavy-duty priests of ancient Babylon who controlled their people by making them confess their sins to them. Wow. And the Eucharistic wafer, that little circular thing they put in your mouth, are you kidding me? That's Babylonianism. It represented the sun, the worship of S-U-N instead of S-O-N. Why would you do that? Oh, and by the way, if your church is using regular bread, why don't you get right with the Lord and stop doing that? Why? The bread represents His precious body. Amen? Well, His body had no sin in it. Regular bread has symbolic and metaphorical usage in the Bible itself of false teaching and of sin. Why would you do that and try to celebrate the Lord? You tell them, we want matzah here. Besides, it's cheaper. Oh, oh. The last time I taught this, we almost had a revolution. <laughs> There were so many Catholics in the place and they were just really angry. You know the sign of the cross? Politicians do it. Military do, do it. Sports figures do it. The sign of the cross? Do you know where it comes from? Long before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the pagan religious system of this world was using the sign of the cross. What we call towel. T-A-U. It's a very serious matter. Sign of the cross. One Catholic man told me, the Bible says that uh, uh, I forget where it is, it's Galatians or something, and uh, uh, that uh, God forbid that I should forget uh, the cross uh, by whom the world is. We should really honor that. Well, I'll tell you how you can honor it. You can realize that it was on that cross that Jesus Christ died and paid for your sin. And you're going to need to open your heart to him and believe in him or you will never be in heaven. What is the matter with us? They're doing it all over the place. And it's as pagan as it comes. And let's use... Bible language right now. Traditions. Did Jesus ever compliment the traditions of the world? Well, he acknowledged that they followed them, but no, he attacked it. You worship the traditions of men and not the commandment of God. Wow. Traditions that are not biblical? There are so many of them, you have to get the book to read how many there are and understanding it. This is Babylonianism. Uh, there are some things you won't even know about. How about the cult of Isis? Whoa. 
Isn't that Islamic rebel group called ISIS? Uh, how about Mithraism? What? Or how about Panotheism? All the early Roman emperors, including those who eventually took the title, Pontifex Maximus, Supreme Pontiff, they were all henotheists. That means they would tolerate paganism, but they had one special god they liked. How about the papacy? Wow. This is really a good book. <laughs> and how about the sacraments? You know, a lot of people challenged me in the past, and uh, some Catholic friends really got after me. They said, you don't know what we believe. Why don't you go to school and learn? So I did. I took Catholic theology, the seven sacraments and papal authority. That was the course. It was very interesting because it confirmed everything I really believed before I went into the class. You see, a lot of us trying to be nice to people we don't want to attack it. No more than Constantine wanted to attack the paganism of his day, but incorporated it into church life. Robes. Do you read in the Bible, all pastors must wear robes? No. I was asked to do a wedding in a very... I was asked to do a wedding in a very beautiful you know, gothic-looking church. Not my style, but I was asked to do the wedding. So the pastor, whom they called Father, and I was twice his age, but anyway, uh, and I don't know why they dress him up like Mother. Anyway, that's another issue. <laughs> so I, I said to him, uh, well, what are you going to wear for the wedding? He said, well, I have my robe. Uh, we notice you're quite big, but we have bought the robe. I said, do I have to wear it? He said, no, you don't have to. Great, then I will. <laughs> he said, what? I said, will, but I'm not wearing all that chain junk you got. He said, why? Because the cross is an instrument of torture and persecution and death for my Jewish people. And as soon as I got out of that robe, I turned it and I handed it to him and I said, you know what, if I were you, I'd get rid of this once and for all. First of all, the Bible doesn't teach it. And I'm telling you, I am hot. I am sweating everywhere. I, I don't, next time I won't wear any clothes underneath it. God perish the thought. What's the matter with us? Why are we doing all of this? Oh, here's a good one. Came up this year in October as they tried to sell us the Celtic cross. Hmm. It's that short one. And uh, interestingly, they're now calling it the Bethlehem cross. And I'm standing in the store. People are, oh, isn't it lovely? Look at the jewels it has. I said, the cross was just a stake, a wood. And it was pounded up on an olive tree. They turned to me like everybody stopped. It said, what do you mean an olive tree? 
I said, well, the Bible says that. Where? That was their mistake. I said, Peter said that, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. Wow. They never even thought of it. So they have these little gold things you wear, and Jews hate them. And then they now have a Jewish star, and you can have a cross in the middle of it. (laughs) I'm sorry. I believe that God wants you to care about Jewish people not to offend them every day you meet them. Amen? Celtic cross, do you know that's what the Crusades were all about? What? Oh, yes, that cross. It was on their uniforms. It was on their helmets, all of it. And that represented their hatred of the Jewish people whom they killed all the way to when they got wiped out themselves by Islam Suleiman. You know, can you imagine how tough this is to preach this, not knowing who you people are? Uh, let's do another one. Oh, yeah. Why do we have a Reformation when the Catholic Church is working so hard now to get us all back together again. Now, what is the problem here? The problem is we've forgotten what the issues were. Hello? I'm going to quit after I mention this. There are three major issues that came out of the Reformation. And by the way, Luther never left uh, his Augustinian monk role He died an Augustinian monk. He never started the Lutheran Church. A lot of us have forgotten that. There were good Catholic men who were confronting the church for its wrong teaching and its abominable practices. Justification by faith alone. Not indulgences. Not good social work. No, no, no. I have a test that I give to my students in the course on Romans. The theme of Romans is justification by faith. (coughs) Thank you. I'm going to do it again. I just want to hear you go, oh, oh. I have a test. It's multiple choice. It's either A or B. And there are 50 questions. I give it to my students in college. Do you know what I've learned over all these years? Evangelical students coming from evangelical churches are Catholic in their understanding. It's absolutely frightening. You realize that we are not teaching accurately justification by faith alone. And the students are always shocked after they get a paperback that has an F on it. Failed. Failed to know the basic principle of the Reformation. We are declared righteous. We are not made righteous until the second coming. So you're still a dirty, rotten, depraved sinner, and it's a miracle anybody wants to sit by you. Amen? Amen? 
I had to force the amen out of you on that one. But folks, listen to me. That issue is still today, and it's Babylonianism. All the way through Babylonianism, clear into the Roman Catholic early, early years, they say that anyone who says that they're justified by faith alone is anathema, is damned to hell. And Catholic priests know it. Justification by faith alone. No one in this building is saved and born again who does not believe you are declared righteous by faith in what Jesus did, not what you do. Second issue, the authority of the Bible over church traditions. That's still an issue today. Anyone who believes, says Vatican II, anyone who believes that the Bible has the final answer is anathema and deserves hell. What do they believe? They believe only the church and its leadership can properly tell you what the Bible means. You know, we don't read this stuff, let's face it. And the last one, wow. If we believe this, as all the Reformers believed, and there wouldn't be anybody going to Catholic Church at all. The private priesthood of every believer. All of us who are believers are priests before God. Designed to worship Him and to proclaim the light of the Messiah out of a dark world. My friends, uh, there's much more. And uh, once again, I, I wish I had enough copies I would buy them all for you. It is very powerful. And uh, I hope that you will take the matter very seriously and then look at all that we see about the Virgin Mary. Hello? Do you know what they teach about the Virgin Mary? You know, I had almost forgotten that they've been adding to it. They believe she was immaculately conceived. The Bible does not teach that. They believe that she's a perpetual virgin. They believe in the assumption of Mary. She went to heaven directly without anybody else joining her. They believe she's the co-redemptress, so you don't need to go through Jesus alone. They believe we should pray to her about everything in our life, not God, Mary. For after all, Mary, they say, is the mother of God. Unbelievable. Well, there's plenty more here. And you take a look at what they're doing they're getting worse. Mariolatry is dominating now the Roman Catholic Church, probably under the influence of Pope John Paul II, who had Mary's name engraved even on his underwear. The man was obsessed with it. Well, no woman how sweet she may be. No woman will take the place of my Lord Jesus. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and she is not the Queen of heaven. May God open up our minds and hearts, and may we understand that Babylonianism 
is everywhere. And it's keeping us from the beauty and majesty of our blessed Lord. Back to the Bible, friends. The Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we've had here in Redwood City, California to talk to people about Babylon, one of the biggest subjects in the Bible. And Lord, you know more than any of us how Babylonianism has infiltrated the churches even called evangelical. God, deliver us from compromise, disobedience to your word. May we, Lord, not add anything to our ministry that is not biblically taught. And I pray, Lord, for people who are listening now. Maybe they were baptized as children or babies. Maybe they have not wanted to really deal with this. But, Lord, you are able to take the wool off of our eyes, so to speak, that we may see clearly what your word teaches. I pray for those that may be in this meeting that aren't sure of their own relationship to you. God, I pray, by your powerful Holy Spirit, you would bring them to faith in Jesus Christ alone. As I interrupt my prayer for just a moment with your heads bowed, I will not embarrass anybody or call on a name, but I want to give you the opportunity. If you know in your heart that you're not sure of your relationship to God, right now I'm going to invite you to just simply lift your hand up to the Lord in heaven and say, God, please help me. I want to settle this. I want to get it. Yes, God bless you. Yes. I want to get this straight. I want to know for sure that I've been born again by the Spirit of God. I want to make sure that Jesus is the only one that I am trusting. His death, His burial, His resurrection, His coming again. Open my eyes, Lord. Yes, sir. God bless you. Father, you know our hearts. You see our hands. You say in the Bible, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So God, I pray right now by your powerful Holy Spirit you would draw us back to the simplicity of biblical truth and that we might settle the matter of our relationship with you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.